The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. So tonight we're going to explore and reflect together uh, about what it means to be a Dharma citizen. You know, Dharma. You know, Dharma is defined in so many ways. It's um, defined sometimes as the very nature of nature. You know, or the teachings of the Buddha. Um, So, this idea for this topic came out of a uh, teacher's meeting that we had. Many of you don't, maybe don't even know that we have like a dozen teachers um, in our community, all of whom have been trained um, under this uh, Buddhist umbrella and have done uh, various teacher training programs. And so with this kind of um, groundswell of interest in, in civic engagement, whether you're on one side or the other or somewhere in the continuum, um, we wanted to take a look at it through the lens of the practice. Um, and of course, some might point to, well, the election had something to do with it. And yeah, that's a factor. Um, maybe the factor that the environment continues to be degraded and has continued to degrade for our lifetime, maybe that's a factor. Um, Maybe another factor that people are getting more interested in civic engagement is the shrinking middle class. You know, what's that about? The, The reallocation of resources. Is it okay the way it's moving? You know, and this last election. You know, the whole, the process of the election, not necessarily what the result was and uh, the choices that we had. So there's this uh, kind of interest in uh, kind of civic engagement. And so tonight, um, we are going to reflect on on this, and then we're going to pose some questions for all of us to reflect together. So one of the places we might begin with this uh, reflection would be to look at this human potential that we have to wake up. And as Pat alluded to, uh, for some of us, the, the election was a wake up. For others, it has been many other diverse happenings in the world um, starting decades ago or centuries ago. Um, And in this season, we might think of it as a little bit uh, like a cocoon that has grown too tight, that we are now aware that there are some perhaps beliefs we've held or some ways of seeing that are no longer functional, that are no longer, they don't work. There's something resonating for us that means that cocoon needs needs to open. We need to shift in some way. Another metaphor might be the 
shedding of a skin to feel things differently, to uh, take in a different perspective. Uh, there's a poet, uh, Mark Nepo, I don't know, Nepo, I'm not sure how he says his last name. He talks about the shedding of the skin as taking the exquisite risk so that every time we open up to something beyond our familiar way of seeing, believing, that whatever, whatever we believe, every time we touch into a little bit more aliveness, a little bit more sense of an expanded awareness, um, it is both exquisite and it's a risk. So there's this sense that with the word exquisite, there's, there's, there's beauty, there's possibility, there's potential um, for a different response, possibly. Certainly an enhanced sensitivity. Uh, risk, of course, being we expose ourselves because we're, we're seeking or we're looking at the possibility of change. And so it means we need to let go of the ways in which we have been in order to uh, see that which has, as of yet, uh, not been seen. So we're exchanging some degree of security for vulnerability, if you will. Um, I've been uh, in a con to give you a, a personal example. I've been in conversation recently with a 80-year-old woman who's been a mentor, who's been mentoring me, and she has been encouraging me, prodding me to shed an old skin. And so I have been paying some attention to the, the way in which I see, am. <laughs> and um, she asked me the other day, she said, well, what's shifted for you? What's, what's new? What's different? And I, I said, well, there's just something about this feeling like I have shed something of an old skin. Certainly it's not all gone but there is a sense of shedding some of it. And she said, yeah, it's like stepping into your shoes. And seeing that the truth is it's not clear, it's not perfect, there is muddiness, there is scruffiness, there is dirt, there is chaos, there's disarray, and it's all okay. And like you, I have significant significant conditioning around lots of things, including the way, what I say, uh, what I think it's okay to say in any space. And, um, and there's a holding back out of fear, uh, vulnerability, a sense of vulnerability. Um, it's that small ego, egoic self playing large on the stage, you might say. So what I've noticed is that if in those moments I can invite some compassion, some kindness here, that there is an opening. There is a, a beginning of a shift. And then, of course, I lapse back into the old cocoon behaviors. <laughs> but that's a place to acknowledge, oh, yeah, yeah, it's back again. And it's okay. So simply to keep beginning again and again and again and again with this pattern. So the recognition that things change, that, that everything is impermanent. Uh, Pat alluded to the, to the 
nature of the world that that everything is going to bruise, tear, erode, disperse, and end fundamentally because everything has a fragility to it. And, And there is resilience, there's stability, there's compassion. So how it is that we can um, recognize both and be willing to, rather than shrink back from uh, being with the world, uh, how might we engage? How do we engage? And it's scary. And it's humbling. Um, But if we don't recognize fragility, we'll miss the chance to protect and nurture the things that matter. And we'll be needlessly surprised and upset when things go awry, which they will, and fall apart. So part of the challenge, of course, then is to just see the full messiness of it all and stay with it, not turn away. And at times we will turn away and to give ourselves permission to do that when it's necessary. So it's a real um, artistic way of being here, that, that whole notion of us as practitioners being contemplative artists, discerning when, how we move. Uh, and to not need to respond perfectly and completely every time. Um, I speak to my, about myself in that way. So the practice is to come to peace with the messiness of this life, responding with compassion that serves the suffering, knowing that all things change and fall apart. There is no perfect response, just this offering in this moment. Uh, Leonard Cohen says it well, ring the bells that can still ring, forget your perfect offering. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets in. So um, when I was sort of thinking about this topic, what does it mean to be a Dharma citizen? What I kept thinking, what kept coming to mind was how I keep track of daylight savings time. turning clocks forward, spring spring forward, fall back. So I thought I would kind of work around that since it kept coming up Um, and talk a little bit about how this relates to my own practice edges in my efforts to step up and out in the world. Um, And part of my cultural training is as a grits. You all might have heard of that, a girl raised in the South. Um, (laughs) And um, so I'm culturally uh, trained to be pleasing, self-effacing, calm, catering to other people's wants and needs, um, certainly not showing anger or frustration. So my tendency by training, and probably by my nature as well, is to withdraw from tension and conflict and stuff those things and keep my thoughts and opinions and feelings to myself, and I'm sure some of you can identify with that. Um, But recently, really because of waking up 
more forcefully to my own heartbreak over the conditions in our world and the, the suffering, the level of suffering. Um, I found myself really wanting and making intention um, to step up and speak in ways that I've avoided for a long time. And, and I've found that when I start to speak up, um, I have pretty intense emotions of, uh, about the, some of the conditions in our, in our world that are causing um, suffering. I have pretty intense emotions of anger and frustration and they can appear in ways that also create, for me, intense fear and anxiety, which make me want to then withdraw and freeze, give up, disappear. So that's my edgy, edgy dilemma of spring forward or fall back with a strong um, cultural and natural um, tendency to fall back. And I like, I have a quote uh, from Lama Rod Owens that I got, you all may have seen it, I've been getting the daily ekodharma from one or sangha. Practice means facing that which scares you. Death, climate change, racial and gender oppression, and one's own flaws. In many ways, fear becomes the path. Whatever we habitually avoid actually becomes what we have to do. You can't deny the fact that you're going to have to feel real discomfort before you can do anything else. And what I'm finding is that I'm seeing the fruits of my, my practice as I try to step up. Um, I can notice those strong emotions that inhabit my body and try to remember to breathe and to give some space to all that energy, softening inside as kindly as I can, staying with my own experience, and trying to remember that I do not want to add more suffering to the world. Doing my best, as Hugh Byrne and Sharon have spoken recently here, to have an, an appropriate response to what I'm feeling and thinking and experiencing. That may be a clear spring forward no, um, or a steady and more centered I don't agree and here's why, or a, in a sense, sort of fall back and set my view down for a bit. Tell me more about your view about that. And another appropriate response might be, depending on the conditions at the moment, my, like my own health or my sense of safety or the conditions that I observe in other people, may be that I'm not going to do anything at all. Um, but I thought I would share a recent example, and it's, it's really a small example, but... Um, from Easter weekend and, and a lot of family visiting. Um, we had six of my husband's family members visiting in our home, and um, I was tired by the time this came up. Um, there was a sticky political issue that came up, and my emotions sort of flared, anger and frustration. And the usual gatekeepers that are in charge of my mouth seemed to take a vacation. <laughs> um, and I did speak harshly right at first, which is kind of unusual, but, um, but pretty quickly I was able to remember the practice and notice all that energy and confusion in me and to soften it just a little bit enough so that I could get a clear enough thought to say, um, 
something like, you know, this is my view and what I care about, and I know you have a different view. And what followed was I was able to hear some things in their view um, that made a kind of a sense to me, given especially what I know about these family members, my husband's family members, but I've been around them a lot. So, And so even though there was still that messy agitation, I had more compassion. I could feel more compassion for them and for their view. And at least one of them said, and this was pretty surprising, um, I know you've been exposed to people and conditions in your work that we never hear about, and we just hear what's on the news. So, I mean, that was a surprising outcome and a gratifying one. But later in the night, of course, I woke up, and I was just continuing with this messiness, and I thought, oh, man, you know, um, my cultural conditioning started beating me up for losing my temper. So, you know, it continued to go on, So because as it does, as Teresa was referencing. Um, and the practice, again, you know, just really tried to work with softening and, and, and responding as kindly as I could in the middle of the night. So I just that's just a little thing, but um, since then I've really been in reflecting on those interactions and um, efforts and those events and, and their messiness and, and some of the goodness of it, too. And now I'm telling you all about them, and, and maybe this will help me continue to trust that the practice can support me in efforts that I'm making outside of my home and family. And I know this isn't like newsworthy stuff. It's like not a big newsworthy deal um, in terms of changing the world, but I do know that our pebbles make ripples, <laughs> and hopefully those uh, that's worth something, and maybe a lot. And it's interesting, when I was sort of reviewing this before I came over and some of the questions that you'll be looking at, I um, thought, you know, these are pretty small steps. And I felt some sadness and, and sort of heartbreak around that, just you know, because of the hugeness of the suffering. And, and I thought, okay, that's a place to, to lean my, my practice and my, to sit with and to lean into is that, just that. So thank you. Over the last um, 17, 18 years, I've taught a lot of residential retreats, and some of them stick out in, in my mind. Others don't. But the one that I taught in November during the election, that one's not going to leave my mind. It was, um, you know, I stayed up a little bit later. You know, I knew it was a busy day. It's always a busy day when you're teaching a retreat, and so I... I kind of saw the way it was going, but so at 2 o'clock in the morning, um, there's bang, 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 bang on my door. And it's a guy I've known a long time, and a long-time practitioner, therapist, and, and, and I open the door, and he's just tears just streaming down. He's totally distraught. And so we talked, talked for a little bit there, just standing there in the, you know, I'm just waking up, and he's obviously hadn't been to sleep. And, and then we altered the retreat the next day completely from the regular schedule. <clears throat> the original idea was we'd post on a board somewhere uh, a sheet that you could lift up and you could find out who the winner was. 
but word had already gotten around and a certain number of people were just completely distraught. I'm sure there were people there that were happy, but the emotional upheaval caused us to, to just change the retreat in order to meet the group where they were, find ways to support the difficult emotions that were, that were falling, um, <coughs> coming, coming through everybody. Um, my reaction, my personal reaction, was, was not like that. You know, I felt like I was kind of an outsider. I, I didn't have the freak out reaction. It was more of a curiosity, okay, what's gonna happen now? You know, what does this possibly mean? Um, historically, you know, some truth-telling. I've, I've been on the historical side of the political spectrum where I haven't liked any of the administ administrations. I didn't like the last one. I didn't like the one before that. And when I thought about it, going back, I didn't like any of them. I didn't feel they were doing enough for the collective well-being and for the environment and a lot of other issues that were dear to me. So, okay. In, in my mind, the drain was kind of circling slowly, and now it might accelerate, you know, or maybe not, you know, because there's so many variables in, involved that um, resting in, you know, curiosity and don't know <clears throat> seemed to be an okay place. Um, so there's an opportunity, you know. There were <clears throat> some small percentage of really participating citizens over the years on both sides of the spectrum. I mean, we hardly, we don't have a very high percentage of people who even vote, you know, in this country. But somehow I have the feeling that's gonna change and that there's gonna be more involvement. So I'm really feeling um, an, a great opportunity, and we don't know. But there's, there's, there's energy. Last week I was up at the um, International Vipassana Teachers Conference, which happens every three years, and it was held at the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. <clears throat> And there were teachers from all over the world. There was a large group of monastics, uh, uh, both monks and nuns. And so this was one of, the, one of the topics that came up. And it was very interesting to see and feel the spectrum of uh, <coughs> what people were thinking. On one end, there were individuals saying, well, there's nothing to do as teachers. We just teach. And what do we teach? We teach the recognition of suffering. Part of our, um, our, our, our sila, or the cultivation of our personal integrity, is to recognize suffering in ourselves, in others, and do what we can. That's a kind of foundational dictum of a Buddhist practice. So that's, you know, business as usual. On the other end, there were people saying, <coughs> well, we've got to radicalize 
you know, as many people and find ways to do that as we can. And everything in between. So I think a lot of um, faith communities are um, considering and reflecting on, okay, what is it to be a citizen now under these conditions? What is required? You know, there's a certain element of the population that's just struggling to survive. Um, then there's an element that um, maybe does have a little time and energy that could be applied. And so the, the reflections are, you know, are we kind of happy with our level of involvement? And there are a lot of monks and nuns out there meditating in caves and whatever effect that has. Um, and so what we want to do tonight is, is take a look and, and do some reflecting on where we are as a citizen. And there's no like perfect way to do it. It doesn't matter what your political persuasion is, where you are, you know. But we're, we're, these questions will point at, are you okay with where you are, the level of your activity? Would you like to um, uh, uh, take a look at that? Are there things that personally that feel that, that are blocking you from greater engagement? Or do you feel fine about the way it is and that's that's fine too yeah it's a good point I've noticed each day it seems I'm noticing new groups forming around certain issues that I had never heard of I'm taking it as a as a positive you know people getting involved and caring but there may be some element of dilution you know that may be happening so many groups so many but when, when we reflect on the nature of suffering, I mean, <clears throat> it's what happens when we get born. So um, there are so many flavors of suffering that need attention. It's almost like you can throw a dart and exercise whatever energy and compassion you have and be... Um, you know, doing what you can do. And it is messy. <clears throat> How do we know that our actions are in the long run going to be the best, you know, the best for all? We don't. But we have to discern as best we can and make choices. Who we elect, what kind of uh, programs we want to support or not support or what do we want to stop what do we want to put ourselves in front of to stop it you know to resist and what do we want to create you know these are lifetime reflections and <clears throat> you know those of us who live in the most powerful nation in the, that's ever existed and have enough food and we have shelter and have um, 
a few spare moments maybe. Um, uh, these are worthy reflections and certainly something that will um, as, a, as a spiritual group here we'll be reflecting on or um, looking at endlessly. So, thank you. Under the umbrella of bridging separation as part of the practice. You know, whether we're working internally and trying to heal the wounds and come to a loving space with ourselves and then extending that externally any time that we feel that separation, whether it's somebody's political ideas, somebody's race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, you name it, ethnicity, that's the place of practice. Well, I, f I feel that separation. Okay, how can I use my practice here? What, what am I feeling now? Do I have the courage and ability to extend in some way, feel the field, and learn to be comfortable in it from one situation after another? Um, some of the comments in our group centered around how we can effectively uh, engage more in our community and in our country. And that's, I think, for me, a big question is, you know, given in life we have finite energy, what is an actual, what is a useful uh, activity that we can do where we'll actually have some impact beyond living a, a good life in our local community? Important question. Uh, just one quick response to that. Um, David was saying to me recently that he read that in terms of effectiveness with a demonstration, for example, that research shows that if it is a peaceful one that garners some publicity, that seems to have greater impact in terms of being able to be heard, the message to be heard. Um, if there is violence or some untoward behavior, then that tends to, the folks witnessing tend to turn away from. So just an interesting um, way to look at mm -hmm. that element. I just wanted to share something that helped me. Um, I was at the retreat with Hugh Byrne over between Christmas and New Year's, and he, on um, New Year's Eve, he gave a wonderful talk about this uh, particular, what we're discussing. And it really helped me because I think everyone there and I think here, we feel overwhelmed. There's just so many things that are breaking our hearts. It's kind of like, where do you turn? And he said that, you know, it, what it re nothing really matters except that whatever you do, you, you put yourself into it from your practice. He said, it's not so much what you do, but it's how you do it, with what intention you do it, and that you don't go into it thinking that you know the outcome or that you're looking for a result. And that really helped me a lot because I sometimes sit around and try to figure out, well, what would the result be of me doing this? Mm -hmm. And he really kind of called us on that, that that's our self jumping to the fore. Mm -hmm. And that it, it would be much more helpful if we just, 
went from our practice to whatever called us, but without expectation. I think that's a wrap for tonight. Have a good evening. Thank you.